Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Dr. Lori Noga. Dr. Noga is the founder and CEO of Tranquility Dental Wellness Center, a rare women dentist-owned dental group located in Western Washington. Dr. Noga began her journey not as a dentist, but as an actuary, and it didn't take long for her to realize her passion was not limited to statistical models and spreadsheets. It really was about empowering others to put fear aside and reach for opportunity. After completing dental school at Tufts University and serving as an active duty officer in the U.S. Navy, she set out to break the mold for how dentistry has traditionally been done. Her concept of experience, affordable luxury began as a single de novo dental practice with two employees. With her business prowess and a passion for empowering her team, she quickly grew it to a multi-location, multi-million dollar enterprise in five short years earning a spot on the cover of Dental Economics Magazine in April of 2018 and on the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies list in 2019. With other accolades include being recognized an icon of dentistry by Ultradent in 2020 and on the group Dentistry Now's top 10 DSOs to watch in the list in 2019. On a daily basis, Dr. Noga continues to make mistakes find out opportunities for growth in these situations and inspire her team to feel safe to do the same. She acknowledges that there is a lot of ugly on the path to self-development, growth and success, but it is moved by the beauty and seeing team members be vulnerable, be bold and transform into better versions of themselves. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Dr. Lori Noga. Lori, it's really nice to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Having a fellow alumni, I always love that. So it's really nice to meet you. Uh, if you could start by telling our audience, you know, how you got into dentistry and what you're doing today, that would be great. Sure. And thank you for having me. First of all, I, this is not my first career. Dentistry is actually my second career. I started out as a business major, graduated and actually became an actuary. So I worked as an actuary in uh, Hartford, Connecticut for about four years and within about one year had realized this was not my calling. I did not like what I was doing. I was really bored. I just felt like there was, I was doing nothing to better the world. Mm -hmm. So it didn't take long to figure that out. It took me a lot longer to actually get out of that job. So I had to go back to school. I had to take all my prerequisites for dental school. I had never taken a science class um, in college. So it took me two years to actually get all my prereqs to even apply to dental school. What made you interested in dentistry then? So actually, while I was an actuary, I was working with the HR department there doing some kind of soul searching and trying to figure out what would be a better fit. And after doing a bunch of personality tests and assessments, an actuary actually came out to be my worst career match. And all my top 10 were medical, dental, physical therapy, speech pathology. They all had to do with medicine. So not wanting to leave that career after only having been there for a year or two, I felt like I really needed to figure out what it was I wanted to do to make sure I didn't make that the wrong decision again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I spent a lot of time actually with nurses, with doctors, with physical therapists, with my own dentist, just trying to figure out what was gonna be the right fit. And after 
after some time meeting with my own dentist, he said, you know, he had always said to me, whenever you realize you don't want to be an actuary anymore, come and talk to me. And so that day came. And so I said, I'm coming in to talk to you. I want to know about dentistry. And it was a husband and wife group. They both just loved the career. They loved what they were doing for patients in their community. And I was really looking to control my own destiny. I did not want to work in a corporate in the corporate world anymore. And I loved what they were doing. I loved that they had kids, that they were really involved in everything outside of their practice. And I thought, this is where I want to go. So that was really what turned me on to dentistry. I started looking, they had sent me to some specialists in the area too, to just really make sure I liked all of it. So I met with some specialists in the area and, and that was really what turned me on to it. I really wanted to find a career where I could have an impact, but also still be a mom and have work-life balance. And I felt like dentistry was the right way to go. Wow. So you left there after four years, you did all your prerequisites, you applied to just Tufts or did you apply to a bunch of different schools? I had no advisor because I wasn't in a traditional pre-dental or any mm -hmm. sort of pre-medical program. I was really doing it on my own. So I actually applied to 12 schools, <laughs> not knowing, just hoping I got into one. That was really, you know, I, I'm, I guess that's, just how I am, like making sure I find something. So did you hear back from all 12 of them? And I interviewed at all 12. Yep. Wow. Unbelievable. And so how did you pick Tufts out of all of the schools that you accept, got accepted at? Well, interestingly enough, uh, when I went into dental school, I was married. And so my husband at the time, it, my, my choices were actually Tufts and UPenn. Those were my top two picks. He was from Philadelphia and didn't want to go back to that area. He really, he felt for his career, it would be better to go to Boston. And I love Tufts. I mean, really yeah. between those two, I think I would have come out with a great education either way. And I love Boston. So I ended up choosing Tufts. Very good. Very good. So then you left and went where, and how did you end up in Washington? So <laughs> I went into dental school, married, and I came out divorced. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, that's okay. It's, it's just another chapter in my story, right? So of course, while I was in dental school, I always said, I'm never going to date a dentist. I'm not, you know, this is, I'm going to keep that separate. Well, that didn't work out either. So I ended up <laughs> dating somebody in the class behind me who I am still married to now. And he was from Washington state. He, he came from Olympia, Washington. His dad had a dental practice he had always planned to move back out to Washington and take over that practice. So when I left dental school, I actually was in the Navy. I did a Navy scholarship for three years. So I went to North Carolina first. He came with me for those last two years. And then we moved to Washington. Wow. That's amazing. So tell us a little bit about your private practice. So I have a group of practices, which when I started out, out here, that was never where I intended to be. When I left the Navy, before I even left the Navy, I was already trying to make connections out in Washington State through my father-in-law and through various people that I had already made, you know, found as acquaintances. That was in 2010. And at the time, the economy was still not doing very well. People were not selling practices. I, it was very hard to even find an associate position. My husband and I did not want to work together. We figured, okay, dating and getting married to a dentist was enough. Working together was too a lot of step too far. So he came out here, took over his dad's practice. We had our first child was only three months old at the time. So I was happy to just move out here and try to figure out the lay of the land and, and try to find a practice. But there was a huge 
I want to call it an old boys club that existed in this particular area. And even though my my own father-in-law was a dentist here for 40 years, I could not make the connections I needed to make. So it was very difficult to find a practice to buy. Not only were there not a lot available, but they they would just get a practice would get sold right under my nose to another guy. And so finally I got frustrated and thought this, I can't sit around forever. I had been kind of helping my husband out with transitioning his practice, but it was too small for the both of us. And I was actually talking to a mentor of mine from Tufts who one day said, well, why don't you just start your own? And that thought had honestly never even crossed my mind. And so as I got to thinking about it, I thought, well, okay, you know, that's definitely a possibility. So I started looking at geographic locations, where would it make sense? And I had always had in the back of my mind, the concept that I wanted to implement in my practice. It was just finding the right place for it. So he was really the kind of the motivator behind me starting my own practice and decided I'm going to go for it. I'm tired of sitting around. I believe in myself enough and I'm running into enough roadblocks with everybody else. I'm just going to blaze my own trail. So I did my first startup. The day I signed my lease for that building, I found out I was pregnant with my second child. Of course. Of course. Like that was not how we planned things, but it was what it was. And so I opened my practice in 2012. I was 26 weeks pregnant. I worked for about eight weeks and my son came early. So I had a preemie at 34 weeks. I literally had a C-section on a Wednesday and went back to work the next Friday because I wasn't, wasn't ready for him. He came so early, but luckily we were early enough in my practice where I had empty operatories that I was able to turn one into a nursery, hired a nanny to come to the office so that we could be with each other, especially at the beginning when I wasn't super busy. So that's, that's how it got started. Uh, that was office number one. And like I said, when I originally built it, I built a five operatory office. I thought I'm just going to do dentistry. I'm going to be a mom and I'm going to live this happy little life. But it wasn't very long into doing it actually that I found growing and developing the team members that I had hired was super motivating for me. I just loved it. I, the, the two people I hired when I first opened, I had one admin and one assistant, both had been in dentistry for maybe a year or two. And so they were a little bit reluctant to even join me because my practice was a startup, but my attitude was, we're all going to learn this together. I don't know what I'm doing. We're just going to grow together. And watching them grow and flourish and under, under my guidance was so motivating. So within about 18 months, I was really busy right off the bat too. having, you know, within three or four months, I had a hundred new patients a month. I was more than I could handle. So I was quickly up to a five day work week. Um, I added an associate and expanded my building. And from there, that's kind of when it just that this whole movement of developing people started happening for me. And so now I have three locations and a fourth one under contract. That is an amazing story for several reasons. One is, you know, you don't hear about too many people starting from scratch anymore. Number one. Number two, nor do you hear that you're so successful and quickly develop a practice that you have to not expand, add an associate and add more locations. So congratulations. So whatever your secret sauce is, I would highly protect that with all your might because good for you. I mean, that's an amazing story. What do you think was one of your biggest reasons for success? You know, what, what do you think that you did that others might not be doing that, that you can share with the audience? 
I think for me from day one, I went in with the attitude that I'm building my practice with the patient in mind first. So, and I was looking at every other office in the area and trying to figure out what they were doing and how I could serve the patients better. So I was open Fridays. I was open early in the morning. I was open late when it was just me, I would alternate my days. So one day I would work at seven in the morning and the next day I would work until six just so that I had availability because my, I know who my patient avatar is and I know what they need, which is their dual working families, they're career oriented, they have kids. And so my goal was to meet those needs and to be open early and to be open late to make sure I could accommodate them around work. So that was number one, uh, even, even back in 2012, when I opened so many offices weren't even open on Friday. So I was open every Friday. And also just the concept of my practice was really about the experience and um, affordability. So I built my offices to look and feel like a spa, not to be a dental spa specifically because I felt like that was a little trendy. I just wanted to take some of the elements from spas that I always enjoyed and thought of myself as the consumer and what am I looking for? What's gonna make my dental experience feel better. Mm -hmm. Yep, so, so that's really how I went at it. And, and that goes right down to not just the, not just so the aesthetics of the office, but how we treat the patients. We were very particular about making sure we understand who our patient is. We have a specific set of questions we ask every new patient to interview them, to know what, what do they value about dentistry? What would be their objections to getting care? So that when we're treatment planning, we're talking about comprehensive care, we're meeting their needs as well and they're feeling heard. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like for me, that's really what made the difference. And I really love developing my people and my team. And so I spend, the bulk of my time actually now on that. So you have a lot of associates working for you and you're just developing the people and the systems and, and putting things in place so that everybody works according to the plan. Correct. That's awesome. Congratulations. Good for you. I loved hearing stories like this because it makes it easier for me to go back to the, to the young students and say, okay, there are people that have made it successful right off the bat. And you can too. Uh, Location-wise, did you find practices? Are you in locations that are maybe not as desirable as um, town areas? Or do you find that you're in locations that were challenging because there was a lot of people, a lot of dentists in the area? This area is pretty saturated. It is pretty metropolitan here. But I have found that my locations do better in more of a retail area. So we're close to shopping centers. Um, just convenience, right? That was really what I was looking for was, I know it's a pretty saturated area, but I want to be the most convenient office out there because I'm, I know my patient avatar is a busy mom or busy working family. And so if they're going to be running out to the dentist, they might want to hit the grocery store afterwards or things like that. So I was really thinking about who are they and what are they going to need? That's exciting. So how did you learn about your avatar? Did somebody teach you about that? Did you have a marketing, some marketing help? Well, having a business degree, I did have marketing classes. So I had a little bit of marketing knowledge, but really when I went at it, I thought about me and what am I looking for, right? Because I've, I know that women are the drivers of most healthcare decisions in our country. As a mom now, I really understand that, right? I'm the one making the appointments. I'm the one finding the right providers. So I think of myself as that avatar and what do I want? And, and it's gotten even worse now, right? Because now every experience that I have out there, every customer service experience, I'm looking at it from the perspective of how could they do this differently or how could I improve their system? It's a curse. 
Well, it's actually because that's how your mind thinks, which is a, it's a wonderful thing. Right. But that's how I applied it to my own patients too. Nice. You know, I think that, that in any dental school across the country, that is one of our biggest shortfalls is the business side of dentistry, that it's not something. And I know that if you reflect back on your own education at Tufts, it's not something that we have the room and the curriculum to do wholeheartedly at the level that we really should be doing it at. And quite honestly, you guys are more focused on the skill set development during those four years without the understanding of how practice actually works. So you can't put the two related together. You can't put, you know, the facts that we're teaching you about the business side to understanding how it actually impacts your day-to-day operations. So I found that the key to providing some business education to young dentists is mostly within the first five years of of graduation. Because then you understand how practice runs, if you've done a residency program or if you've done some training as like you did through the armed services, you at least understand how it works now. Yeah, for sure. And I wholeheartedly agree with you that there's no context in dental school. The only reason I understood it, and I actually enjoyed those seminars that Tufts gave on business because I had that background. So I had more context and I understood better how to apply it. But I remember sitting there with my classmates and they were, you know, why are we learning this? It doesn't even make any sense. And it kind of felt like a waste of time for them. And, and you're right until they get out and they actually start experiencing it, there's no way to really apply it. And you don't remember everything you learned until you're there and every situation is a little different. And that's actually one of my big movements and and goals is to continue to develop doctors in a way that one, I can remove a lot of barriers and obstacles for them because I've already blazed this trail and two, then teach them the skills they need to continue to grow themselves as leaders in the organization. Very good, very good. Now, are you planning to expand beyond your four locations you know, every year is, is, is your goal to develop a, a, a large size group practice? I, I don't really set a number on locations and size. My goal really is just to have as much impact as I can. And I don't want to ever stop that. They're really, that's an infinite goal, but I also don't want to get to the place where I'm so big that I can't have that impact in the way that I want to. So I'm very cautious about that. Would I love to have a million locations? Sure, but only if the the people in my organization are getting developed and are actually moving into those leadership positions the way I envision it. What a great, great vision. Good for you. I mean, seriously, that's a great vision. I I applaud what you're doing and, and how far you've taken it in such a short amount of time. 2007 is not a long time ago that that you graduated. So, you know, you've accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. So congratulations. Thank you. I'm working on it. Yeah, no, absolutely. What's the single best piece of advice you've ever gotten and who gave it to you? Oh, that's a good question. Well, what, what immediately comes to mind? Immediately what comes to mind is developing my own self first, like putting on, you know, it's the same thing as putting on your own oxygen mask first. I have definitely made so many mistakes along the way, but now at least I realize that if I'm taking care of myself, if I'm looking at my mistakes as opportunities, and then what can I do better next time, then again, my impact can become limitless and with that attitude. But if I'm not focusing on myself, if I'm not doing anything to develop my own self-awareness or self-actualization, I, I'm not going to have much of an impact on anybody. True. 
That's so true. You know, one of the things that when through this COVID-19, I started a study club for the students just to give them something to do. And, you know, I fortunately have a lot of connections. And one of the things I really told them that they needed to focus on, I call them my five pillars is, is spiritual. And we do, I don't know if you remember Dr. Paston, Christina Paston. She's, um, she started, she's an endodontist and she started the very first health and wellness program at a dental school in the country at Tufts. And so we have meditation now every day. We have yoga once a week and we actually start our huddles with a meditation. And it was all because of her vision and her insight into, you know, the performance of a young dentist under stress and the difference between that and the performance of a young student dentist, not under stress, who is staying calm, and keeping their inner demons under control. And I find that, you know, you and I talked uh, briefly before we started recording about the confidence factor. And that I know is a huge part of it. You know, you, you become stressed when you don't think you have the skill set necessary in order to complete something. And she saw that in a young uh, resident, endodontic resident, that completely fell apart during the middle of a, a program. And she took her aside and she said, meditate with me, just two minutes. That's all you need. And she went back with a very different feeling, completed the procedure. And that was when the whole wellness program was, was born because she saw the impact on that resident. It is amazing that, that we don't take that time to do that in our everyday career. So maybe something that you can bring to your program as well, your group practices. That is amazing. I wish that existed when I was there. That's something I've definitely learned along the way. So I have a routine now every morning that I follow very religiously, which is I get up in the morning, I do a meditation. Typically, I like to do a chakra meditation. So I'll alternate each day a different chakra. I do breathing sessions. So I even have a breathing coach now because exactly what you said that being able to step back and control my own breathing controls my stress almost immediately. And then I plan my day. But when I plan my day, I don't just look at what's on my to-do list. I've been there. I've been that person who has just, you know, I have a to-do list of to-do lists and, and it gets out of control and then it's very stressful. But what I do now is when I do my daily planning, I sit down and I write down what's my intention mm-hmm. for today. How am I going to show up? Who am I going to be when I show up? Um, and then I look at, of course, like what's on my schedule and what are like the top three things I need to do today. But to your point, I think the biggest, one of the biggest things I've learned about myself and in my own self-development is the stress of not knowing or not having the answer is so much more reduced if I just take one step forward, because I'm not going to know the answer. But if I just sit down and I think about what's the bigger problem, what am I trying to solve? How would somebody else I know who's done this before solve it? And I just create that first action and I take that first step, my stress goes down so much. And I may not even know what the answer is yet, but I'm just making one move forward towards an answer. You can be crippled by that stress or, you know, actually it's, it's pretty much at, at its basic level fear, right? Mm-hmm. You can be so crippled by that, that you never take a step. And that's where the problem lies is that there's no action. And, uh, you know, I keep telling the students, you know, you got to just put your blinders on and just take one step every single day towards graduation. That's all you have to do. You don't have to, you don't have to eat the elephant all, all at one time. You just have to take one step, perform one skill, perfect that skill today. You know, 
don't stop practicing until you get it, whatever that particular thing is. You know, don't stop studying until you get it, but just do that one thing every day. And you're absolutely right. You know, it does get us so much less stress if we just tackle it a little bit every day. Right, exactly. And my attitude, and I do, I do a gratitude when I do my daily planning. I, I write down my gratitudes. I also um, track where did I win from yesterday? And I'll write down each day three things that I did 1% better that day than the day before. Because 1% better today, 1% better tomorrow, that becomes an exponential curve, right? So it might feel small. And I'm also one of those people, I would get really wrapped up in feeling like, oh, I haven't made big strides, so I must not be getting anywhere. So I had to slow myself down and figure out what's the best way I can actually measure progress. And if I just sit down each day and I think, what was I 1% better at today than yesterday? Mm -hmm. And those start to accumulate, right, over time. So you really do, when you sit down and look back, you start to see that progress. So that's one thing. The other thing, and I teach this to my team all the time, is when you take a risk, don't look at a failed outcome as a mistake or failure. Look at it as an opportunity. How can I go back and analyze this and assess that situation and not do that again or do it better next time? So my team knows that. They know they're allowed to take a chance. They're allowed to take risks. As, and the only thing I ask of them is that if they screw it up, they come back, they fix it, and they figure out how they're going to do it better next time. Because we all have that, especially women, suffer from the fear and the lack of confidence. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and good for you that you are giving them that space in order to make the mistakes. Because so often, you know, we're not given the opportunity to have that space and make the mistakes. And they're not mistakes. They, they are opportunities because it's just learning one more way how not to do something. I mean, if Einstein or Edison had ever stopped at, at the thousandth time that they did something, we never would have had the accomplishments that, that they brought forth to the world. We just never would because they would have stopped prematurely and, and none of it would have occurred. So, you know, it is making that, that painful journey back. It's not painful if you just look at it as an opportunity, make that journey back and say, okay, how can I do it better next time? What, what one thing can I change to make the outcome a little bit better? Exactly. And for me, that's been a big change in how, how stressed I am about things. I don't really stress about much anymore because I do know, well, it might be difficult in that moment if I stay focused on what's the opportunity and what's on the other side of that obstacle, it's well worth it. So, and I, you know, that's something I keep teaching my team over and over again. Congratulations. That's amazing. Who has made the biggest impact on your life? Would you say? Probably I have a couple of really great coaches and I would say there's one in particular that I think has made a really huge impact on me. His name is Dr. Mark Cooper. I met him years and years ago, actually, right after I first moved to Washington state and he's an ontologic coach. So he teaches um, how to be. And that's something for me that's really, I think, taken me from that fearful, stressed out, uncertain female to who I am today and feeling confident in how I show up. That's amazing. I actually know who uh, of him. Um, he's doing some work with uh, Marco Vesuvic at the ADA, the Health Policy Institute, and in working on, you know, Medicare and, and dental benefits and the impact that's going to have. I'm looking forward to his symposium next next November. So yes, yeah, I just talked to him today about that. So yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, any obstacles that you've overcome that you're really proud of that you'd like to share? 
Oh gosh, every day is an obstacle. <laughs> we can all say that for sure. Especially 2020, don't you think? Well, 2020 is the biggest obstacle I think probably any of us have ever overcome. For me, it was a moment of at first complete shock. I think we all were in that position, especially being in Washington state where we were sort of at the forefront of the COVID crisis. So they were shutting us down out here before there was talk of government help and anything, right? So I'm in, I'm in some mastermind groups of people who are all over the country. And I remember getting on my mastermind call that month and I just cried the entire hour because I couldn't even get words out. And nobody else on the call understood because they weren't experiencing any of it yet. And I just kept saying, just wait, just wait, just wait, it's coming. And at that time, just having that fear of no options, like what am I gonna do? And luckily I have a great coach who at that time had said, you know, just get comfortable with worst case scenario. You have to get comfortable with it before you can move forward. And so after that first couple of weeks of total shock and going back to the place of, okay, if I go bankrupt, if I lose it all, here's what it'll look like, but at least I'll still have my knowledge and my experience and nobody can ever take that away from me. And in fact, then I kind of got excited because I thought, well, geez, if I could start all over again, it'd be so much easier because <laughs> now I know what I didn't know, right? Right, right. So that was, for me, I think I went through the grief and all of those emotions really, especially I felt like I was losing the future that I was in love with, that I had in my mind, I felt like that's gone. I've lost that. There's no way to get that back. And so for me, I really, I had that period of like deep grief for a few weeks, but once I kind of snapped out of that and started seeing it as the opportunity that it was and is, it totally changed everything, right? Cause I came to that fork in the road where it was like, I can either go down the depths of despair and let this run me, or I can see this for the opportunity that it is and really take this opportunity to reinvent who I am reinvent my team, reinvent my experience for my patients. And that's, that's the route I took. Congratulations. It's amazing. The impact, how long did it last in Washington for you guys? And are you shutting down again now? Or I think across the country, my hope is that we're going to be considered essential healthcare workers. I know that the ADA's position is such and that, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm president of Massachusetts. And so, you know, I know that that's what we're taking to the governor and saying, you know, I'm sorry, but we have to be essential. We cannot shut down ever again. Patients may not come and that's their choice, right? But we just can't not see our patients because you think that, you know, that's going to cause them to get sick. You know, there's no evidence that we have uh, transmitted anything from us to our patients. And I think we're the safest, um, healthiest place to go, quite honestly. Yeah, I agree with you 110%. So going back to the beginning of your question, we closed down for, I believe it was 62 days in Washington because we were mandated to close here. So we were able to see emergency only, but they were very specific about what that meant. So my husband actually saw most of the emergency patients through that time. We have had a huge resurgence. I mean, the, and, and what we were doing out here is they had given us a 60 day window. They said, you're closed on March 17th or whatever the date was, and you can reopen May 18th. But we just kept rebooking one week at a time thinking, well, maybe that will change. And what a mess it would be to have to go back and try to get people back on the schedule. So we just one week at a time, we're booking patients, rebooking patients. And the farther out we got, the more frustrated people became. And that's what we were hearing from patients. And 
And I agree with you. There was no reason that dentistry should not be considered essential, especially now we have, we have a lot more data to look at to show dentistry is not an unsafe place. It was frustrating to me from the beginning, because if anybody's ex experts in infection control, it's dentists, right? I mean, we've been doing this for decades, but nobody was asking us for any of that information. And now we've proven that we can operate very safely. And now we're also seeing that not only are people not gonna contract COVID at the dental office, but we may actually be able to help prevent have the severity of their illness by helping them control the periodontal disease. Exactly. So, so I have zero plans to close at this point. If, even if they mandated it, I would make the argument that we are essential and that I have patients who have needs. And, and actually we've seen, we haven't really seen a downturn in patients. We were very busy when we reopened. We had that, you know, kind of that six month mark in October, November, but we've been filling that schedule up pretty quickly and people do see the value. I think that that's the huge opportunity in this for dentists is now is our time to shine and actually really get patients to start thinking about their mouth being a, a part of their body and that it matters had the severity of COVID and we've already known about all the other things that periodontal disease leads to. Now we just have more proof. I couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. I, I certainly, you know, hope for the health and safety of all of our patients that we stay open. But, you know, I think there's enough of us out there that are working on behalf of that, that we, we shouldn't see a, a close down again. I know that no matter where we go, the whole United States is lit up again. I think 170,000 cases, one day case um, for the country yesterday or sometime this weekend. So it is frightening that it's, it's resurging, but we knew it was coming, uh, especially with, you know, the flu season upon us, you know, we knew it was coming. Uh, so, you know, we just got to weather the storm and we'll get to the other side. I'm not sure that we'll ever have that vaccine that will take care of every single iteration of COVID or, you know, trans transmission of, of this disease, what, you know, it changes so drastically so quickly, but, you know, we'll do the best we can. Right. Right. Yeah. And for us, we're just going to stay vigilant. I think it's easy to kind of get into the comfort zone that people find with the PPE and, and protocols, but we just keep reminding our team, you know, stay vigilant. We're really we're really on top of it with our team because we want, we're concerned for their safety too, as much as the patients. So, yeah. And I think the messaging that we're sending out to our patients is so critical and helping them to understand what we're talking about, how much of an impact their oral health does have on their body. We've been using that since April. We started talking about that with patients. And I think as dental, as dentistry as a whole, we need to keep, just keep that messaging going. Very good. Now you sound extremely confident and I know we talked, touched base on this a little bit earlier in our conversation. Were you always that way? No, uh-uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so share a little bit about that journey for you. Oh, it's really interesting. I've, I've always been the very shy introverted person, especially back into grade school and high school and even in college, I think. Again, it comes down to experience, but always working on myself. And I think the most confidence I've gotten has come from putting myself in the positions that were risky or felt risky to me. A couple of years ago, a few years ago, actually, I read the book Shonda Rhimes wrote, Year of Yes. I don't know if you've ever read that book, but basically she talks about how she put herself into a position that she would have never said yes to 
to test herself and to stretch herself. And so that's what I try to do now. Anytime I get the opportunity to put myself into a position that's a stretch, I'm going to take it. And I started doing that after I read that book. The very first thing I did was I signed up to do a shark tank type presentation with my entrepreneur, my dental entrepreneur group. This was probably four years ago or so. And I was terrified, absolutely terrified to get up in front of, and it was a panel of investors and accountants and, you know, a lot of big names in dentistry. And I did it anyway. And I think it's those experiences really putting myself out there. I mean, I honestly, I went to, it was lunch break right before I got up on stage. I didn't eat a bite for lunch. And I think I probably ran to the bathroom like three times thinking I was going to throw up because I was so nervous, but it's those moments for me that stretch myself to that place that I'm so uncomfortable in. And then afterwards is when I say, oh, I did it and I can do it. And I just proved that to myself. And so I just keep doing it and it's still uncomfortable, right? (laughs) So now tell us a a little bit more about the dental entrepreneur group that you belong to. I, I, that's fascinating. It's called the DEO. It stands for dental dentist entrepreneur organization. I think it's what it calls. Yep. Actually, Dr. Mark Cooper started it. It was called the mastery company before it was a dental, the DEO. He retired and he handed it off to Jacob Poole who runs it now It's a group of, it started off as a group of people who had groups or DSOs and it's evolved beyond that. So there's people in that group now who have a solo single location who are just entrepreneurial in spirit and want to grow themselves as leaders and and business people. Uh, So they do summits a couple times a year. And then if you're a member, we do monthly mastermind calls. So I have a group of about 10 people that we meet once a month and we mastermind and it's always bring your burning question or your bringing burning concern this month. And we kind of round table and discuss those things. So fascinating. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's been a great resource for me for sure. I've been in it. Like I said, since it was Mark Cooper, like way back when. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, Would you say he's one person that really inspires you in dentistry? For sure. Because I think Mark is one of those people who's always, going against the grain from day one. That's how I met him. Actually, he came to Washington. Well, he's from, he's from this area. He was doing like a dental society talk. And this was in probably 2012, 2011 way when I first got here. And he was one of the first people to start talking about forming groups and collaborating and coming together. And of course that was not well received at all. And I remember being in that meeting and people were just walking out. People were really disgruntled. And that's one of the things I really admire about him is he runs into the fire instead of away from it. And he's doing that now. Mm-hmm. He's moving towards this platform where he's trying to, he's trying to get medicine and dentistry more integrated. And so like, you know, he always runs towards those big, huge challenges, which I find so inspiring. And he's another person who he's very upfront and honest about who he is and the mistakes he's made and that he's not perfect. And, and that's really, he's been such a great role model for that. Mm -hmm. I I think anybody that has the confidence enough in themselves and and that can say, you know what, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Very easily is somebody that I look up to with immense trust, not only trust, but admiration. Yes, I agree. And I think the other piece of that and something I've learned for myself is to say, I don't know the answer. And I've made that mistake for years. I thought that being an owner, especially as a woman, I've always shown up to different things, especially 
dental groups or things where I'm usually the only female in the room. And I feel like I have to have the answer because no one will think I'm smart if I don't. Right. So that's been a huge lesson for me over the years is to really get comfortable with saying, I don't have the answer. Yeah. That's great. What would be one thing that people would be surprised to know about you? Well, I am very introverted. I think I don't come across that way because when I'm with a group of people, I'm very talkative and collaborative and all that, but I am a severe introvert and actually COVID has almost been nice because I don't have to leave my house. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that may come off as a surprise to a lot of people actually. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Have you had an aha moment? I'm, I'm sure you must have at some point where you realized you were doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Obviously, you had that moment in time when you realized, oh, my gosh, I have taken the wrong path here and gone into actuary training or whatever it is, you know. But have you had an aha moment in dentistry where you realize, oh, my gosh, this is what I've always been meant to do? Yes. I think I've had tons of those actually. I think it was really, you know, back at the beginning when I said I had that moment where I realized I love developing my team and it was just interactions that I had with them, seeing them develop or getting feedback from them. That was definitely a moment, but then as I've continued to grow and expand my organization and really move more towards being a people development organization that happens to do dentistry, I have those moments almost every day now when I have an interaction with a teammate or somebody on my leadership team that I hear, I see a reflection of my own leadership or the things that I've learned and trained them on. And I have those moments where I'm thinking, gosh, I'm, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And maybe it's also that I've gained the self-awareness to stop myself and look for those moments too, because I used to be the person that never did that. I was always so far looking into the future and thinking, oh gosh, look how far away I am from where I want to be. I've learned that happiness and fulfillment comes from right now. And I find that the most when I'm focused on the present and I look for those, those moments where it's an aha moment. You know, I, I think that is extremely valuable advice for the audience to hear is, is not to look so far in advance and not to put so much pressure on yourself that you're not leveling up to what your expectation is, because it's all perception, right? It's all what you think that you're supposed to be doing or where you're supposed to be in this moment in time. And time is just a kind of like a figment of, of our imagination. If we don't put any limits on it, it all comes at the perfect time. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the things Mark taught me is your perception is your reality and change your perception and it changes your reality. Right. So and that's something I try to teach my team too, is, or th I think about that when I'm maybe in a difficult conversation or I'm going into a difficult conversation or I'm feeling friction, I will always think of what is their perception because that's their reality. And that what they're perceiving is might not be the same as mine. And so I need to think about that when I go into those conversations with them. Yeah, I agree. Do you have a personal motto or mantra that you live by every day? I think honestly, my biggest mantra is finding opportunity in every situation. I, that's how I approach every single day is where's the opportunity in, in this today. Excellent. How about any advice for any of our young students? You know, obviously that's where my world revolves and, and my passion revolves right now. 
Yeah, any young, any advice for these young dentists as they're graduating, what they should be looking for and the kind of mentoring they should be searching out? I think what, especially the female dentists that are graduating, I would suggest from my own perspective, you wanna find someone who can connect with you, someone who can support you and inspire you. I think that those are the three things that are really gonna drive success because you don't know what you don't know. And if you can get hooked into those people who will create that connection with you, can start to coach you, talk to you about those things or bring awareness around them for you, it's gonna make people go so much farther, so much faster. Yeah. I have really thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you, Lori. It has been an amazing hour that I've spent with you. Thank you so much for everything, your wisdom, your, your inspiration. And, you know, obviously you're, you're just rocking it out there. So thank you on behalf of Tufts. You make us proud for sure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I miss Tufts. Yeah. Yeah. I know it is. It's changed. I'm sure quite a bit since you were, you were there, uh, especially the building structure. We just put in a brand new lobby. Thank goodness. Because uh, COVID-19, if we had the old lobby, that very small little lobby air tunnel, we would have been in big trouble had we not expanded it at this point. But yeah, you'll have to come back. I don't know if you ever come back for your reunions. And obviously this year it's going to be virtual again because of everything that's transpired. But Hopefully, uh, we'll be back together at some point live within the next year or two. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Oh, you're amazing. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.